Hello, do you like New Japan Pro Wrestling? Are you a Shin Nihon freak? If so, check out the Super Jcast with Joel and Damon on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. And even if you fucking hate New Japan Pro Wrestling, listen to the Super Jcast anyway. Not just for our great show reviews, analysis, and pastrami sandwiches, mm-hmm. but there's also usually some dick jokes somewhere in the obligatory opening 30 minutes of absolute nonsense we chat about every single week. That's the Super Jcast for all the best talk about New Japan Pro Wrestling, crisps, and pornography. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To Eurograps Express, I'm your host Neil David and we are back once again to talk about all the exciting events on the British and European wrestling scene. I've always started the show like that and I, I, you know, starting off anything like a podcast is just the hardest thing, it's getting that first sentence out the way, you know, that you start writing something, doing anything creative, anything that other people are going to hear it's always the start that's the hardest. So I just came up with that stop phrase, and I, I, I say it without even thinking sometimes, you know. Welcome, we're here to talk about the exciting things happening on the British and European wrestling scene. But this fortnight, in this episode, I really, really mean it. Because I don't think I've been this excited to be a British wrestling fan in... I don't think my entire life, I was I was trying to put a number on it then, a year, you know, I haven't been this excited since SummerSlam 92, or since a big New Japan show that we had, or whatever it might have been, but I think this AEW show, and the excitement that that's bubbling, and, the, and, and what's percolating for us at the minute, I don't think I've ever felt anything like it. Feels kind of strange to say that, doesn't it? I think there's a there's a... And understandably so in certain circles and in certain in certain places. But I think there's a tendency to be very negative. And I do it too. You know, I, I can be very cynical about things. You know, I'll watch a Red Pro show and I'll, I'll, I'll pick it to pieces and I'll say, well, I don't really like this. I don't really like that. And then you'll listen to another podcast that have maybe parachuted in or they just watch bigger shows. And they go, oh, that was really good. And you think, oh, actually, yeah, you know, maybe it was really good. Maybe I was nitpicking. But with this, I can't do that. I I, I can't. I can't. I'm just. I, I almost can't articulate how excited I am, which is you know a shame because I'm doing a podcast and I'm trying to explain to you how excited I am. Um, AEW are gonna put on the biggest wrestling show, non WWE wrestling show ever. It seems, or you know, certainly in the modern era, it we can talk numbers all day long but the kind of numbers that they've sold the kind of numbers we're talking about in Wembley um just kind of put it in that upper echelon 
it's 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 in that level of shows that will be talked about forever based purely on how many tickets they've sold. In the pre-show, the pre-show, the pre-sale, they sold 50,000 tickets. And since they've gone on to general sale, it's now been bumped up to 60,000 tickets. I don't know about you. I mean, I, I wasn't at Wembley 92, obviously. I was about you know seven years old or whatever I was. But I can't comprehend wrestling on that scale. And as much as I love, you know, going to Evoke Nightclub and watching wrestling with, you know, rest in peace, uh, watching wrestling with 150 other people and, and you know, travelling up and down the country and watching wrestling in community halls and, and scout huts and church halls and all that business and, you know, back rooms of pubs. I don't think anything can ever replace that feel of scale. And even when, you know, I watch WWE from time to time, and I'm not a fan, it's, it's, it's not for me. I'm not going to get into the tribalism, by the way, on this show. That's not something I'm interested in talking about. Um, you know, the wrestling's not for me. And when it's just in an arena, I, I don't really get excited by it. I, I just think, okay, this is sports entertainment. It's not for me. I, I'm, I'm not going to watch it. But when they do their WrestleMania shows, and it's that feel, that feeling of being outside, with 70,000 people, you know, and almost like that difference of just when the lights are on, you know, I, I, I can't really articulate what it is, it's like a mise-en-scene that just drips something special into it, that makes it feel momentous because of how many people are there, and we're going to get that at Wembley, and not only are we going to get that, we're going to get that at a show that's being booked by someone who I think gets it. You know what I mean? Someone who I think gets it. Because that's where my thoughts are going to now. And I, I know this is coming sort of a week after the, the, the sale and all that. So we've heard all the analysis of, of, of the numbers to death. And, and we, we've we've heard where this places this show already in the echelon of international wrestling shows. Uh, we know what it's done for AEW. We know how much of an achievement this is. But you know what I'm like, business, I try my best and, you know, I've got to talk about it when I've got to talk about it. But my analysis is always about the craft and what's in front of us and the matches and the wrestling. And what's really exciting me is what's next. We know that Tony Khan is want, is going to want to do something significant. I don't think it's enough to put numbers in Wembley and I'm obviously I'm not diminishing that achievement of course I'm not but I I just know now that Tony Khan's eyes are looking to make this not just special in terms of a business success not just special in terms of making six million dollars or whatever he's made already on the gate because when you're a billionaire what six million dollars you know it's a it's a, a it's a pack of biscuits isn't it six million dollars to someone who's a billionaire but I think we're in a position where we're gonna see all the booking might put into this show to make it special it's the Warner Brothers anniversary it's the Wembley anniversary it's significant on a scale that this country has never seen before. And also, Tony Khan, like I say, he gets it. He understands what it 
means to make wrestling fans go home happy. And it's so weird, isn't it, when you think of wrestling on this scale. It's been monopolised by WWE for so long. And how you think about it and how you predict what's going to happen on these kind of shows is just absolutely mad, I think, sometimes by the kind of things that they do. And even somebody like me, who's never really been a huge WWE fan, or was when I was a kid, you know, I, I love watching, you know, your Randy Savages and Jake the Snakes and stuff when I was a kid. And when I actually got into wrestling as a teenager, I enjoyed the Attitude Era. Of course I did. I can't retcon that out of my life. It was, I might not enjoy it now when I see clips. It might make me cringe a little bit inside, but I, I you know, I enjoyed it at the time. But it was never my thing. I was never a WWF guy. And even me, I think sometimes my expectations have been marred by what that company does. And I think you can apply that to AEW. Or you shouldn't apply that to AEW. And I know there's been things recently on Dynamite where, you know, they've had things in parking lots and people have had the cars smashed up and it's had that very WWE feel. But I think when Tony's at his best, Tony, when my mate Tony Khan's at his best, it's when he, he knows and he recognises that he's got to send the crowd home happy. Um, do you know what I think of whenever I think of that? Is when CM Punk came back and I, I stayed up late. I've been to a, I've been to a wedding um, and I, I left the wedding relatively early. I left at midnight because I wanted to get home and make sure I was ready for that episode of Rampage when Punk came back. And when Punk came down, he, you know, he, the crowd were chanting his name and the music came on and everyone went wild. And he, he, he came in and he delivered his promo. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, someone should attack him now. Get some heat, brother. And remember what happened? Nobody attacked him, did they? He just did a promo to his hometown audience, his hometown crowd, saying that he was back. And that he's free on Wednesdays. He's free on some Saturdays. And he's back and he's got his working boots on and he's here to wrestle in a wrestling company. And he left. So applause to cheers to tears. And that was a little bit of a turning point for me. And, and, and it, sound, it sounds like such a stupid thing and maybe I'm exposing myself here. But I, I, I think that's been a thing that's been missing in a lot of Major League Wrestling for such a long time now. The idea of just sending the crowd home happy. And... I have quite a bit of faith at this point that Tony Khan is going to approach booking this show with that kind of attitude. And what does that mean, do we think, to send a British-European crowd home happy from Wembley? Because I'm seeing some analysis that there's this idea with AEW that people just want to be part of it. You know, we want to go and maybe to a certain extent that's true. I think... You know, the fact it was a Wembley show, I bought tickets sight unseen. Obviously, nobody knows what the card is yet. I bought tickets. I booked a hotel the second it was announced. You know, so I, I, I know there is an element of that. But I don't think we can say that's everything with this. I don't think you sell 60,000 plus tickets. Say he's going to do 70 in the long run. I don't think you sell 70,000 tickets based on that feeling of people wanting to be part of something. I know that because do you remember the rumours about a year ago was that the first shows in the UK were going to be a Dynamite in London and a Rampage in Manchester. And my feeling was that 
if I can get to the Dynamite in London, great. But I'll probably just go to the uh, I'll probably just go to the Rampage in Manchester because it's twenty minutes away. My wife will drop me off. So I think there's more to it than just wanting to be part of something. And anyway, who cares? Yeah, I do. I want to be part of the biggest wrestling show. In, in the country, in decades, and probably will be the biggest wrestling show of all time in England. Yes, I want to be part of it. Of course I do. But what does that mean to Tony? What does he want to do? And that's what's driving me mad and keeping me up at night. I just, I, I want some matches announced. You know, Meltzer's tweeted about what would you do with Osprey? Because that's the interesting one, isn't it? Because if you think, what do we need to send the crowd home happy? This is what we need. We need... One of the greatest matches of all time. That's the expectation, isn't it, on this show? We need one of the greatest matches of all time. It's not going to be enough to send people home thinking, oh yeah, I've seen a really good show, there was a really great match on it, and you know we'll go away from it thinking, yeah, it was a good night out. No, I don't think that's enough for this show. I think the expectation is that we're going to see one of the greatest matches of all time. Because think about that Clash at the Castle show. That had one of the best matches of the year on it. The Gunther Sheamus match. That was one of the best matches I saw that year. And I, I really enjoyed it. I, I did. and I, I could be cynical about WWE all day long. But I'm never going to knock that Walter Sheamus match. Because it was great. And that was in front of a massive unprecedented crowd. Remember, when they announced that Clash at the Castle show, my first instinct and my first reaction was to say, who's going to go and watch that? And it turns out, lots and lots of people did. Lots of people wanted to go and see it. But I don't know what it is. There's just something about this show that makes me think there's got to be something more. It's got to be one of the biggest matches ever. And Osprey's name is obviously everywhere. It's what are they going to do with Osprey? The running theory that Meltzer's put up is... Or the, well, not the theory. I think he's just speculating. I don't think he knows anything. But the names you see it around are Okada. Which I'm not convinced about that one. And again, this I mean, the perspective that I'm viewing this show through now is so bizarre. Because I'm looking at this match and thinking, yeah, can we put it... We put him against Okada and it'd be obviously be a great match. They've had great matches so many times. But I I think that would be a disappointment. I remember watching Osprey Okada in Reading. I drove down to Reading to watch the New Japan um uh Rev Pro show that had uh, Tanahashi against Big Demo on it and it had uh, AJ Styles against Jushin Liger, I think. You know, it had some really interesting matches on it. And there was that had Osprey Okada on it. And I remember loving it. It was one of the best live matches I've ever seen. But the reason why I think that match ended up being so exciting to me and something that that went into that upper echelon in my mind is A, obviously the live bump. But B, it felt like it was something exciting and current. Osprey was at that point, and we, we, we've talked about that point quite a lot on the show, haven't we, where, you know, wrestlers are about to really do something, really go and do something special, and Osprey was at that point, you know, he, he, he was, uh, he'd been over to PWG, I think, by that point, he'd started to have some really great matches, but he was at that point now where we were ready for him to have something really special, and that, to me, was the match where Osprey's career really started. 
And I think if we're going to have that match now, even though I've no doubt it will be a great match. And listen, you know what Okada's like in front of a big crowd. You watch him come out in AEW shows in America with that live, raucous crowd. He loves it. You know, he really does. And I know it would be a great match. But it feels like that would be something akin to that feeling of when they do like a Tanahashi Okada in America. You know, yeah, it's amazing and it's exciting and it's going to be great. But it's something that you're not seeing in in the moment, in the now. Do you know what I mean? It's something that you, you're enjoying and you're excited about because of past merits. And I, I don't want that for the AEW show. I, I think it's got to have something that feels utterly current. And to me, the match that would do that has to be Osprey Omega, doesn't it? It has to be Osprey Omega 2. And I think all the planets and all the stars are kind of aligning a little bit here. I think if you're having a, a relationship with another company, and oh, oh, you negotiated Omega winning at the Tokyo Dome and beating Osprey, I don't think that's something you just do. I, I I don't think that's something that New Japan and AEW would have just decided as if it didn't matter. That's significant that Kenny Omega won that match. They beat New Japan's own guy. And I think there must have been, and this is pure speculation, this is do, that idiotic, horrible, boring thing that podcasters do when they fantasy book. But I'm going to the show. You've got to let me do it. I just think there's got to have been something there, an agreement. You know what I mean? That maybe, just maybe, they could get that win back, but they could get it back on this huge show that they have planned at Wembley. How amazing would that be for Osprey Okada too, and for Osprey to win? I, I mean, I, I'm still. I think I say this every other podcast. That match lives in my brain a little bit. And I, I I don't know if I can pull the trigger on it being the greatest match of all time. And I know this, that thing, isn't there? You know when you're giving a match five stars? And the sort of the running theory is, is that if you have to think about it and you're not sure, then it's not five stars. When it's a five-star match, you just know. And surely that logic should apply there as well, shouldn't it? If it's the greatest match of all time, I'd just know it was the greatest match of all time. But I don't know what it is. And whenever I say no, I think, oh, maybe it was. I know there's possible speculation of Punk doing something on the show. And I think that would be incredible. I think to see Punk there, would he'd lift the roof off the place. I think he'd certainly sell some tickets as well. If you wanted to push that over the edge, say you're teetering just before that 70,000 and you want to push it over the edge, get Punk on and he will. Do I want to see Punk against Osprey? Not really. I kind of want a work rate thing. It's interesting, isn't it, the way Osprey's talking actually on Twitter at the minute. He's kind of talking like he doesn't know how much longer he can keep doing this. He doesn't know about his body anymore. And he's, and it's, I, I think to a certain element, that's true, you know, but he's a 30-year-old wrestler. Of course it's true. Do I think he's about to retire? No, I think he's doing the Tanahashi thing. And I think if we have this insecure Osprey that we've never had before who's worried about his body who's worried about how much he could do in the ring who knows he's a step behind what he was five years ago entering the ring against Kenny Omega who beat him on the biggest stage 
and now he's on an even bigger stage. I, I just think the stories... I mean, we talked about the promos that those two were dropping on each other. And I, I, I just think that match would be absolutely incredible. And I can't think of anything that would beat it. I really can't. I just... I, I, I know, again, I keep gushing. And I, I know I should articulate myself a little bit more. But I think, you know, I'll leave it to the other podcasters to be stoic and get your, get your spreadsheet out and get your database out and talk about your gates and you can talk about your ticket sales and you can talk about your... Oh, what what how does this compare to WWE? I'm going to be here and I'm going to be excited to watch MJF get booed out of the building by 70,000 people. That's what I'm excited about. And I can't bloody wait... I think this is just, this feels like a real cult, wrestling cultural cornerstone for us. And where's it going to go from this? I think that's an interesting thing. When you look at the past 12 months in British shows, I mean, okay, yes, it's from overseas, you know, American companies, and it's from, you know, New Japan have done a, a shows over here that have done really well, but you look at how many tickets are being sold and you look at how many people are going to watch these shows. I mean, what did Clash at the Castle do? Let's have a look on Cage Match. I can't remember. Is it like 20,000 or something? Let me have a look. Cage Match. On air. I, I've got into, I know I've got into a really bad habit of doing this, by the way, of uh, Googling things live on air when really I should be more prepared. But let's have a look. They said they did. Oh, but yeah, 62, of course they did 62,000. It's a massive one. Of course it was. They did 62,000 in Cardiff. I mean, what's money in the bank on to now? I mean, that's going to do 10,000. And then we've got this that's going to do, I mean, I mean what, what's the limit? Are we saying 60,000? At the minute, 70, 80? I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I can't. The level that tickets are being sold at in this country at the minute, it's like nothing I ever could have imagined or predicted. And I think it shows a real appetite for people who want to watch professional wrestling. And again, we can get into the tribalism, but that works both ways. Do you know what I mean? We can't. I, I think it's bizarre that we could just dismiss AEW and say, oh yeah, people just want to be part of it. But then WWE did 62,000. And I think if you're looking at one of those two companies, if I put my neutral hat on for a second, even though you know full well which side I lie on, if I try and put a bit more of a neutral hat on, it seems pretty clear that people are more likely to go to a WWE show out of some sort of loyalty than they are to an AEW show. Or just as likely if I'm being generous. Is this a turning point when we start to see companies taking this market a little bit more seriously? And start to realise you could do these massive, massive numbers. Because again, it's very, very easy, isn't it? To When you get into this ranking of things. And it always means you end up prioritising what comes at the top. Especially when it comes to money and ticket sales and that sort of thing. And, you know, we've got this idea of AEW being the best. And then, you know, selling the most tickets and making the most money. You can't dismiss Clash at the Castle. And what a massive success that was. You can't negate the fact that money in the bank is going to be a massive success. You know, it's easy, isn't it, to slip into into saying things like, oh, it's only going to do 10, 12,000. Only 10, 12,000. And let's not forget about, you know, the, the way competition works. 
do you think WWE are going to be happy that they had this huge event in the UK and then were quickly usurped by AEW? It's not the way they operate, is it? It's not. We saw they saw what we saw what they did to World of Sport. You know, poor World of Sport. I just think it's an incredibly exciting time to be a wrestling fan, and and I, I, I think there's an element, I suppose, of of it being a starved market. I think that's probably more true than the idea of tribalism. I think it's more that we don't because these things are so few and far between in the U. I mean, literally. I mean, Wembley, ninety two. You know, I've just realised we've got to stop saying that, haven't we? You know, we've got to qualify it now. There's going to be two Wembleys when we're talking about wrestling. But the 92 Wembley, that was the last time we had anything like this. And that's a lifetime ago, isn't it? feels like it feels like a whole other world. And, and yeah, I, I think, I hope this is a bit of a turning point for British wrestling. And, and what I hope happens and I'm hearing rumours, and I'm seeing buzz on Twitter, Red Pro has started to put some feelers out there that they're going to do something really big on that Saturday beforehand. I'm only hearing rumours at this point, and I, you know, nothing that I can report, nothing that I can say with any kind of certainty. But I think if what I'm hearing is half true, then it's going to be a big one as well. And I'm I'm going to get ticket as soon as I know where it's going to be and, 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 and what the situation is with ticket sales. I'm going to get an extra hotel for that Saturday night and get down there as well. And I really hope that it becomes this big event in wrestling, this huge thing that, that we end up being able to get behind and and to, to sort of show off on an international stage and say, look at what happens. Because wrestling fans will travel. I mean, look at all those British and European fans who would travel every year to America and go to that WrestleMania weekend. And how many of them didn't even bother going to WrestleMania or only went because, you know, they were there anyway and they might as well. Am I getting overexcited? Am I setting myself up for a fall? Maybe. I I don't know. Uh, but I I think this summer is going to be huge for Brit the British and European wrestling scene. I'm so glad to be part of it. And I'm so glad to be talking about it. Um, and I'm so glad I got my tickets. It's a bit hairy actually getting my tickets. I logged on um, about five to... Was it 11 o'clock they came out, I think? And I logged on about five to... Because I'm thinking like I've not... It was a weird experience because I don't do this. Like I've not bought tickets like this for... I can't even remember when I would have bought tickets this, you know, for like an event that would have sold out. I'm not really a big event goer. Like for gigs for me, it's I go to the Academy in Manchester or the Ritz or, you know, I go, I'm, I'm that sort of snob, you know, in like small buildings and once bands get to a certain point, it's not that I stop liking them, but I just don't really enjoy going to shows at arenas and that sort of thing. So I'm so out of the habit of buying tickets for these huge things. So I just logged on at 5-2 because I thought, well, refresh the page and it'll just pop up when it's ready and you'll you'll get your ticket. But now there's this weird queue system and you're supposed to log on 15 minutes before and queue to get in the queue. So by the time I'd logged on, I think I was at the back of, of queue that at some point was being reported as 16,000 people in the pre-sale. And then I finally logged on and it was like, there are more than 4,000 people in front of you. And then the best tickets I could get were on like the upper um, 
the upper sort of stand, you know, it's kind of like two layers. But looking on the website, I think my tickets are all right. I mean, maybe nearer the time if the secondary market's looking reasonable, I might look to sell and maybe get some tickets closer. But I'm honestly, I'm not that bothered. I think just being there and you can go on the Wembley website and you can see what your tickets are going to look like. So I, I don't think I'm too crushed about that one. I think it's just, I, I'd like I say, I'm just... I, I I just want to be there. I I just I can't wait. I've I've not been this excited about a wrestling show ever. I don't think. Crazy, you know. I think the most excited I've I've been before this is when I was going to do WrestleMania weekend and then COVID hit and we ended up not going. So I feel like this is you know I think this is going to be significant. I think this is going to be something we're going to talk about forever. And I think Tony knows that and he's going to book a good show. Despite the fact Dynamite's been absolute crap, hasn't it, recently? It's been rubbish. But, yeah, he, he, he doesn't miss on them pay-per-views, does he? He doesn't miss at all. So that's AEW. Well, obviously, any updates, we'll, I'll, I'll keep them updated. I think at this point now, we're just, we're just waiting for the card. I think that's going to... I'm not going to go on too much about ticket sales because what else can you say? It's a huge success. It's an unprecedented success, an unexpected success. When I predicted 70,000 tickets, which probably, you know, it looks like it's going to do, did 50,000 on the pre-sale, 60,000 uh, on the main sale. So I think another 10,000 between now and then is probably reasonable. Um I wouldn't read too much into that, by the way. I know there was a lot of speculation about, you know, what's what's it going to do when it goes on to general sale? And, you know, the idea and the phraseology was, what's it going to be like when it actually goes on sale? Um, but I wouldn't worry too much about that because the world and his wife had a pre-sale code. You know, I think I had three. You, you literally had to enter your email and get it. You just got it, you know, and that was that's not included the O two ones. It's not including the um, I think there was something on Fight TV, wasn't there? If you if you subscribe to AEW through that, and I know a lot of people have that here anyway, because here if you there was a time where if you subscribe to pay per view, uh, sorry, you subscribed if you bought a pay per view from Fight, you got so long free on AEW Plus. I don't know if that's still a thing, but I remember I had AEW Plus for a while. Um, so I assume a lot of people got pre-sale tickets through that. So I don't think the idea of it going on sale and I mean we're saying only doing ten thousand. I just I think these numbers are so big it's hard to kind of get your head around it because we think of it in in, in terms of perspective, don't we? In terms of um, I don't know, like kind of what's the word like kind of proportionality that when you're doing 60,000 another 10,000 is is but it's it's 10,000 anyway i feel like we should talk about some actual wrestling and i should stop gushing and uh letting everybody know how much of a mark i am these days um so we're going to have a look at two shows um i'm recording this late sunday and i've just finished watching live or well kind of on the replay um, Rev Pro's latest live in London, uh, which was a great show, and I really want to talk about it. And then we'll have a look at some WXW bits and pieces as well, because uh, they've put on some uh, pretty decent stuff uh, lately as well. So let's get on with it. Let's go down to that London. Mm-hmm. 
So we're down in that London, and it's a funny one with Red Pro when they're not building up to something. You know, when they're building up to a York Hall show, I feel like I think about them a lot. But then when they're on these kind of flatter areas, you know, kind of after a big show, there's a bit of an excitement, but then you don't really think about them. Then you look at a card that they're putting on. I mean, this one's got Slater against Maloney. It's got Jacobs versus Kidd. It's so weird, isn't it, Al? And I don't know what it is, and I... I, I kind of get why Red Pro don't get much in the way of internet buzz and they don't get much excitement because I don't often get that excited for it. And then I look at the cards and I look at the matches and just think, I mean, how many companies in the world, how many companies in the world regularly get four and a half to five star matches throughout the year? Because Rev Pro do. You know, how many companies feature in the top 10 greatest matches of the year, pretty much every year. Yes, there's the obvious candidates, your New Japan, your AEWs, maybe even WWE might creep up there every now and then. But RevPro always do it, and I, I don't know what it is, why I, I, I kind of just get grumpy about them, or what, I, I don't know, it's just, maybe I'm too close to them, because it's kind of my beat, and I talk about them a lot, and I write about them a lot, but it's, Bizarre, isn't it? But we are uh, this match. If you go on the Red Pro on demand, we're actually missing a couple of matches. Um, Red Pro still haven't got this live streaming malarkey right, and I, I, I sort of get that it's a bit of a bonus. I, I, it's <coughs> it's strange though, isn't it? Because they did really advertise this new streaming service as you know something that would have this live streaming. And I don't think they've ever got it spot on. I can't think of a time that they've got it right. And the, we're only missing two matches here. We're missing Levi Muir against Brendan White, which, all right. Um, but we're missing Michael Oko against Zach Knight. And I heard from people who were there. And if you go in the Discord, in the Eurograps Express room at the Voices of Wrestling Discord, a lot of people were saying that's Zach Knight's best match. And it was a really good match, like a little 10-minute match, but it was really entertaining. So it's a bit of a shame that we can't watch that and we've got to probably wait a week or whatever to see it because they can't get it right. I don't know what it is that they're getting the live... How they're getting the live streaming thing so wrong. Um, you know, all the way through, I was... I, I think I caught the last match live and went back and watched the rest and there was loads of stuttering. Um, I mean, Red Pro production obviously isn't the best anyway. We've talked about that ad nauseum before. But it was particularly egregious and clearly needs some cleaning up. And it, it, it was, I, I don't know how you can do it this many times and still be getting it wrong because it's got to have been about a year now, isn't it, since they started live streaming? It's been a bit. Um, but yeah, we had the first match you could actually watch when you go on is um, Leon Slater against Dan Maloney. And talking about exciting things in wrestling, and that's going to kind of be a bit of a theme of this show, is things I'm excited about. Dan Maloney has been officially announced for the best of the Super Juniors over in Japan. He was made a member of United Empire at the uh, at the Rumble. And he's over there and he's going to work in this tournament. I think it's about time this happened, to be honest with you. He's a funny one, Dan Maloney, because I, I love him. And this is very much a Dan Maloney podcast. He's the sort of wrestler that we like. I would say we, may I assume you too. That he's jacked up that he's a bit of a thug, you know, he's not very bright, or his character isn't he's very, not very bright, I'm not insulting him. 
he walked away from NXT UK. You know, he sacked it off and went back onto the Indies. And he'd, he he got to the point where I got very, very excited to see his matches. He felt like a breath of fresh air on the, on the British scene. He felt like someone who had star power, who looked great, who had a character that I really enjoyed. And then we had about six months of him just spinning his wheels. You know, there was him going into those weird feuds with Luke Jacobs and they didn't really get that right. A part of that was the booking as much as anything. You can't really blame him completely for that. But he needed something. And I think he needed something on a level that the British scene couldn't really offer him. Because he's not getting any younger. You know, he's been around for a while. Still young, obviously. He's not. I think he's like 26 or something. So we're not going crazy. But he's entering his prime, I think. He's enter- you know, he's been wrestling long enough now to be good at it and to know what he can do. And I think it's gonna be- it would have been a bit of a shame if he at least didn't get the opportunity to do something on a bigger scale. And that's what he's getting. You know, he's off to best of Super Juniors. He's in block B. We're going to see him have matches against El Desperado, against Robbie Eagles, against Akira, who we've seen him wrestle before. We know that can be a great match. Kevin Connors, uh, Kanimaru, even Master Watto. <laughs> you know? um, but I, I think this is what he really needs. He needs an opportunity to go out there and work at a very, very high level consistently and we need to see if he can do it or not because we know he can work at a high level in terms of the British scene you know we know that he can do go up against the Jacobs and have a great match we saw him have a great match against Akira we know he could do that but I think now it's time to see him do something on that next level and the, the best of Super Juniors is that is that next level and I, I'll be watching it I don't always watch best of Super Juniors you know everyone has that time don't they with, uh, with New Japan where they just have a bit of a break from it and Best of the Super Juniors is normally when I do that, or Tag League or something, you know, I'll, I'll kind of just maybe watch the finals of each block and then the actual final event itself. But I can't this time. You know, we'll be following Dan Maloney and that's incredibly exciting. Talking about exciting and taking next steps, this match against Leon Slater really felt like that next step for Slater as well. He's somebody who's been really talked about quite highly Leon Slater and I completely understand why. I mean, I'm one of them, by the way. I'm not insinuating that I don't think highly of him. I do. I think he's great. But he's one of those wrestlers where I've been worried that he was going to get pushed too fast too soon. You know, that he was going to go some... You know, like... you. I mean, he's not on this level at all, but you know, you look at someone like a Big Guns Joe or um, a, 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 a Cara Noir or somebody like that who just got pushed to a, a really high level really quickly because of everything that happened on the scene. And he just kind of exposed them for not quite being on that level. And I was worried that was going to happen to Leon Slater because he always had the potential to be on such a high level, always had the potential to work at such a a, a, a great standard. But I don't think anything can replace reps. Nothing in the world for a wrestler, a developing wrestler, can replace being in front of crowds and gradually working your way up. And I'm so glad that the steps that Leon Slater are taking are appropriate, I guess is the word I'm looking for. I don't really know, but it seems like he's working to a good standard and being trained properly by the right people. 
Um, Maloney put him over here as well, which, and again, this is what I mean about him taking the next step. That's his first major scalp. You know what I mean? It's, he, he can have these matches against undercard wrestlers and he can do with the exciting things and he can be the almost man in tournaments and, and that and rumbles and that sort of thing. But this taking Maloney and taking that big scalp is a huge step forward for him. But again, like I say, an appropriate one. It's not like he's come out and he's won the heavyweight championship. He's not beat Great O'Khan. You know what I mean? He's 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 just taken that next level and it's it's so exciting to see. I think Slater gets it on a level that not many other wrestlers do. He can play the role. You know, when we watched him wrestle against Cameron Kai, it was a it was a cocky competition of, you know, this person's one step behind me and I'm not gonna let him embarrass me. But when he's up against Dan Maloney, he's, he wants to take that big step that we're talking about. So and he wrestles like that. You know, he, he he's, he's clearly going to the ring thinking about, okay, what story's being told here? And telling it brilliantly. You know, the, the work in this was great. You know, the idea was is that Maloney was very, very powerful and more experienced. Um, Slater was quicker and smarter and could sort of outfox him at times. And I think that was such a great way to tell this story. And, and in a way that Maloney... I mean, that's, Maloney didn't lose anything from this. Do you know what I mean? And who cares? He's not going to be wrestling for a while in the country. He's going to be away in Japan for like a month. It's the right thing to do. <coughs> there was just little things in this that I really liked and sort of little things that show that these wrestlers think about their character on a on a level that not a lot of other wrestlers do. You know, I'm thinking about the way Dan Maloney moved his leg away from the rope when he was pinning um Slater. You know, he didn't he knew if he had his foot in the ropes and he got caught it would be and it, you know, it, it wouldn't count and I think that shows just this really subtle change in how Maloney wrestles. He's a babyface now. But he's that kind of heel leading baby face, you know. He's he's a bruiser and he's arrogant and he'll he'll insult you as he's wrestling, but he's not gonna cheat to do it because he's cocky and he's confident enough in his own ability to know that he can do it off his own merit. And that's my favourite kind of wrestler. You know, I, I like my wrestlers to be confident. I like that. I, I, I don't want chicken shit stuff, you know what I mean? And Maloney just gets that really, really well. I think it's about time we started thinking about Rev Pro's training school in Portsmouth. Because we're going to talk about a couple in this review, but think of the talent and the the level of worker that they're putting out at the minute. You know, we've got two on this show. We've got Leon Slater and Cameron Kai, who are rookies. And the level that they're working at, I mean, just like I say, all the character stuff, but also just physically as well. Leon Slater did a blue thunder bomb at this, which was just perfect. You know, yeah, you know, Leon, he can be a bit pick and choosy on his selling sometimes. And I get that you're doing the big fight back and you, you, I like that. You know, I'm not knocking that kind of the going into the periods of no selling, but there's a way to no sell, isn't there? There's a way to do it in a way that you, you're still recognizing what's happened in the match. Whereas I think sometimes Leon Slater could just kind of stop selling and you know, so he's he's not the finished product by any stretch of the imagination, but the way he's being pushed in RevPro and the way he's being trained, he's given him the best possible opportunity imaginable to be a star. It's just something about him, you know, the way he moves, the way he looks, the way he emotes, the way he reacts, and then he's a great wrestler as well to top it all off. 
think Leon Slater is one that I, I, I'm excited to watch him. You know what I mean? I'm excited to see where he goes next. Next up on the show, we had Harrison Bennett and Connor Mills against Cameron Kai and Robbie X. Um, yeah, I think Harrison Bennett's a good fit for Red Pro. It's his debut. Um, I think I've seen him. He's in Chaos. I know he's a Welsh wrestler. I know um, Chaos book a lot of the Welsh wrestlers, obviously, because of who they're owned by. But I like the fact they're bringing him in here because it, it, it shows that Red Pro is starting to get over that roster stagnation a little bit. Now, I know some things are out of people's control and, and booking. I'm sure there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes in terms of booking that we don't see, and, and, and it's tricky. But there was a period about six months ago where Red Pro just got really static in terms of its booking. And like I say, even when you look on paper and you see the sorts of matches we were getting, and you could get incredibly excited about them, but it felt like we were seeing the same faces. But they're getting much better at just dropping in a couple of new faces every show. Just a couple of people you've not seen before, putting them in the mix. And I think Harrison Bennett is the perfect person for that. He's the perfect kind of level. I, th I think he's somebody who not a lot of people there are going to know. Um, certainly not in terms of his work. I think you might see him around on Twitter and things like that. But to have somebody like Harrison Bennett there just, just mixes things up a bit and makes it a little bit more exciting. Connor Mills, again... I hope one day, and I don't know if that day will ever come, I hope that there's a day that comes where I'm able to form a definitive, absolute opinion on Connor Mills. Because it feels like I flip and change on him so much. I, he's one of those that... I don't get excited about him, and then he surprises me by how good he is. And then I get it into my head that he's really good, and then... When I've got that in my head and it comes out, I'm like, oh, yeah, he's all right. And it feels like I'm in one of those phases now with him where he's treading water a little bit. Yes, the new look has really improved things and the new attitude is great and he's a really good wrestler. But there's just something... It's very easy for him to slip into just being a bit of a guy. And I feel like he's he's in one of those... Phases where he's a bit of a guy. He needs a story to sink his teeth into that he's just not really got at the minute. Talking about Rev Pro's trainees, Cameron Kai was in this team, not with Robbie X. And I really think Cameron Kai's been slept on. When Slater started to burst out, a lot of people were talking about him and a real buzz, deservedly so, started to percolate around him. But for me, if I'm going to be a betting man, I think Cameron Kai's the one. And again, it's such an annoying thing to do because he's so far away from being ready. He's still very, very much a trainee. He's still working on things. He's not quite got his charisma yet, although he's improving every match. But there's just something about the way he looks, the way he carries himself and the way he wrestles. I think he's going to be a star. I really do. If he can follow the same sort of path that Leon Slater had. Keep his head screwed on. Keep the right people around him. Keep working in the right places, i.e. RevPro. And I think he's going to be someone to watch. Because here, I thought he was absolutely great. He's got that attitude to him where he doesn't take any shit. You know, he gets very angry very quickly. And I like that about him. That character is really... You know, he's not the show-off, 
that Leon Slater is. He's the stoic, I'm here to prove myself, and if you insult me, you're going to get it back tenfold kind of attitude. And I like that. You know, he, he, he's just, it's something about that that I find really captivating and interesting. And he was great here because Mills did that. Mills bullied him. He, he really pushed and shoved him around and really played into Cameron Kai's strengths. I thought Harrison Bennett was okay here. I thought he was fine. I thought he was a bit much. And I thought what he did a lot of the time was the Rip Rogers style of selling. Do you know when you see these old guard on Twitter and they post clips from the wrestling school and they're all going, yeah, this is how you should sell. And it's a load of blokes putting each other in like, you know, with the fingers in each other's mouths and they're going, ah, ah, that really hurts. That really hurts. Harrison can sort of move on to that a little bit. And that's not good selling. It's a description of good selling. It's a sense of good selling. It's a whiff of it, but it feels like selling. It feels like you can see the cogs. And I think Harrison does that a little bit too much. And I kind of want him to tone it down a little bit. Uh, You know, just just try and be a little bit more natural. Um, In terms of his work, he's fine. You know, I I don't think... He's certainly someone, I think, that would benefit from being in Red Pro. And he's someone to come back to in a few months' time and see where he is. But at the minute, I don't think he's particularly, uh, particularly anyone to get excited about. Um... This, do you know what this was? And I think this is something that's missing from wrestling. And it sounds like such a weird thing to say because if you were to go online and you were to say you you go on Twitter and you search for IWC and you find you know the sort of people that use that phrase as if you know the, the sort of person who talks about wrestling online yet completely misses the irony of them looking down on people and calling them the IWC as if you know, only weird nerds have the internet, you know, until, you know, Jeremy Corbyn was going to save us all and make us all part of the IWC, but it didn't happen and now it's just these weird nerds. They'll tell you that on every wrestling show, it's just all high spots and cool moves. And do you know what? I have the opposite opinion. I don't think there's enough high spots and I don't think there are enough just cool moves in wrestling. And there were parts of this match when Robbie X got going and Cameron Kai got going, where there was just cool moves and flips and dives and good stuff happening. And I don't think that happens enough. There was a really great belt spot in this. I can't believe I'm saying that. Because the amount of ranting I've done about Red Pro's belt spots... And I'm on here now saying there was one that was really good, but there genuinely was. There was a belt spot um, from... They did some weird thing. I remember watching it. I just wasn't enjoying it. That um, Connor Mills wrapped like a chain, like a neck chain around his hand. Like, not like a Mr. T big thing. It was like a tiny little thing, you know, to distract the referee while Harrison Bennett went and got the belt to smash Cameron Kai with. I'm thinking, oh, is this how we're really going to end this match? With a nonsensical chain thing and then a rubbish belt spot. And then Cameron Kai kicked out and they had a great finish to it. And, I, I, you know, it was weird. I thought it really worked. Just goes to show, doesn't it? You can't stick, you know, you can, you can't sort of have hard and fast rules about these sorts of things. Because, yeah, I thought it really worked. 
Next up, we had a uh, Danny Luna against Rain Leverkusen. Um, Danny Luna, I've really enjoyed that. I'm on record to say that I was, you know, not initially impressed, but she's someone who, as time gone on, I've, I've really got into. Rain Leverkusen isn't someone that I'm aware of particularly. I know her from Twitter, uh, but she's one of those wrestlers that I've never actually watched um, wrestle. Um, she's got a great look. You know, it's very 80s metal, very cool. A natural charisma that's really great. Um, but I think really this had to be about Danny Luna because now she's lost, lost the Southside Championship. There's a bit of a thing with her because I think she's probably alongside Sky Smithson. Um, and yes, there's Alex Windsor, but she's out and we, you know, we don't know when she'll be back and all that. But she's alongside Alex Windsor. I'm sorry, um, Sky Smithson as being one of the few legitimate women stars that Red Pro have managed to get over through all the booking woes and all the injuries and all that business. I think they've done a really good job with her. And they're at an interesting crossroads with her now of what to do with her sort of next. And I'm not sure this match was was the right thing to do. It felt very, very long. It was 16 minutes, so it was shorter than the previous match. And it was, you know, about the same length as the Slater Maloney match. But it felt incredibly, incredibly long. You know, Danny Luna, I think what they've done with her is they've tried to, when, like I say, they've got to this crossroads and they're trying to give her this kind of more brutal edge. They try to make her a little bit more violent. But the way they played it didn't quite fit RevPro. It didn't quite fit what I want from my wrestling. So, for example, there were things like really great spots, uh, brutal spots with um, super uh, suplexes on aprons and, and that kind of thing. But then Danny Luna would do like a maniacal laugh afterwards and then knocked a fan's hat off and went a bit heel 101. And it, it felt a little bit like she'd not turned heel but she just started doing heelish things. And Daddy Luna's always been really good, I thought, of kind of being her own character. I never really thought of Danny Luna as, oh, here's the baby-faced Danny Luna, or oh, here's the heel Daddy Luna. She was Danny Luna, and that's what I like about wrestlers. You know, the best wrestlers, I think, are like that, where you kind of have to make a judgment, and you have to think about their story, and you think about their journey, and make a decision based on that. And by doing that, he was he was a bit weird. I, I, di- I didn't really like it at all. There was a, a few botches in this, you know, like botching a, a DDT from Maine Leverkusen. And, you know, she's not even got a cage match, so I don't know how experienced she is at that sort of thing. But there was definitely that feeling about sort of 12 minutes in of you were kind of willing them to bring it home. And then they'd be, for the last couple of minutes, they were just dropping huge bombs on each other. So, you know, that's always going to be entertaining to a certain extent. But it, it just, it, it outstayed its welcome. It's not about it only being 16 minutes and it feeling long. It just doesn't matter. To me, it doesn't matter if a match is five minutes or whether it's 25 minutes. It's got to be engaging. And there were huge parts of this that weren't. Um, I'd be interested to see where they go with Danny Luna next because I think she's somebody to really look at. I mean, let's have a look at what they've got coming up. They've got live in London 74, not released a card yet, as predicted. So we'll have to see what they do with Danny Luna. Main event. Jacobs versus Kid. Two absolute meatheads. 
two absolute brainless idiots walking into a ring and smashing each other's heads in. Two people who give the impression that they've never, ever been worried about subtlety in their entire life. Two men who give the impression that they've never, ever considered the haikus of Ezra Pound or read in Search for Lost Time by Marcel Proust. And you know what? Good. That's how I like my wrestlers. I want two big, thick bruisers smashing each other's heads in. And that's exactly what they did in this match. And it was great. It was chops and no-selling and big drop kicks to the face. And yes, sometimes it had that thing with Gabe Kid where you can see the cogs working a little bit. You know, you feel like he's 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 telling the story a little bit too hard, Gabe Kid, and he needs to just rein it in a little bit and just be a little bit more subtle and be a little bit more internal, perhaps. But there was a bit in this, there was a forearm exchange, and I feel so desensitised to those things that unless you're Minoru Suzuki or something like that, I don't really feel as much of them anymore. But in this, the way he rocked Luke Jacobs was unbelievable. Jacobs bladed in this, he gigged. And we've talked before on the show about lines in the sand. You know, you get these little these little things that sort of tell you, don't they, about how you know what to pick up on and, and, and whether or not to listen to certain people or get into certain wrestlers. And remember when we said about wrestling journalists, if you think that they would take the WWE money and sit on a pre-show panel with Sam Roberts, then you know you don't need to listen to them. And for me, when you look at people who turn their nose up at blading and say it's not necessary, that's how I know you don't even like wrestling. Because I bloody love blading. I love watching wrestlers bleed. And I love watching Luke Jacobs bleed in this. I thought it was great. It elevated this match so much. The selling from Luke Jacobs here was amazing. He took a forearm at one point and the way he looked like he was unconscious on his feet but going into autopilot. Luke Jacobs selling, I think, is absolutely phenomenal. There was a kick out at one. There was huge, huge bombs all the way through. And at the end, there was a, you know, there was that respect that the only that kind of violence can bring Jacobs did a promo saying yeah I won this time but we're one on one and let's have an epic encounter I love that phrase by the way I used to think it was so dorky but now I get so into it when someone says let's have an epic encounter (coughs) in Rev Pro you think yes he's taking this to the next level and I hope they really start to lean into that because it was great. This is this was a really great match. I think Luke Jacobs is having a sneaky, sneaky, sneaky good year. I mean, he's not, is he? It's really obvious how great a year he's having. And we're talking about it all the time and we're raving about him. But I think he is the wrestler. If I was to pick one wrestler on the scene that's been slept on, I think it might be Luke Jacobs. Maybe Peter Tiani. Maybe Peter Tiani. But those are the two, aren't they? I think Leon Slater is getting his roses. I think Cameron Kai isn't there yet. 
But the two that I think, you know, Dan Maloney's about to get his roses, I'm hoping. But the two major talents we have that I think are being overlooked a little bit are Tiani and Jacob. Do you know what? I've just had a thought. Tony, I know you listen to the flagship. I know. I, I don't know if you listen to this. I don't know if you listen to the main feed and this might just come up because it had AEW on the name and we know your vanity search and that's absolutely fine. If you're listening to this, at the one in a thousand thousand chance you're listening to this, book Luke Jacobs at Wembley. Give him a match. No one will know who he is. Do you know what? Make that the epic encounter. Give... Give Andy a ring. Make the epic encounter at Wembley. Give Luke Jacobs the shot. And I never say phrases like this. I never do. Because I don't believe in him. But he deserves it. Gabriel Kidd versus Luke Jacobs for Wembley. That's the dream for me. There'll be one... There might be when Luke Jacobs comes out. There might be three blokes... Two Ogdens and Neil David shouting their heads off when he comes out. But by the end of it, everyone will be because he rules. Luke Jacobs for Wembley. I feel like this is my free the Weatherfield one. This is my stupid campaign to get, get Luke Jacobs to Wembley. I remember when I was a kid. I grew up in Manchester. I grew up in North Manchester. In Boston. I live in Salford now, but I grew up in Boston. And there was a hospital, a children's hospital in, um, in in North Manchester called Boothall Hospital. And it was beloved, you know, it was one of those sort of institutions. It was a really old building. And obviously I've talked before about me being disabled and, and that sort of thing. So I, I went a lot, you know, I was in there quite a bit. And they decided to close Boothall Hospital down in the early 90s, early to mid 90s. And it caused quite a lot of upset. Because then what it meant is anyone in North Manchester who needed a children's hospital would then have to go into Manchester City Centre and all the sort of the, the issues that that would bring. And it just it felt like a local institution. And there was all these posters around, uh, you know, just it, it, it really simple. It would just say, save Booth Hall Hospital. And I really felt that. I was like seven or eight at the time. And it was weird that I, I, I felt like this place had helped me quite a lot. And I really liked the doctors that I, I, I associated them with, even though I'd see the same doctors elsewhere, you know, and I'd go to Alder Hay Hospital in Liverpool and it just wouldn't feel the same. It didn't feel like the place I went when I wanted to feel better. And I really felt that. And I really felt that compa- campaign of free, of um, of Save Bufal Hospital. And there was, like I say, there was these posters up. I remember them now. They were in like that 90s neon um, and it was they were all like you know the bright green, the bright orange, kind of the highlighter colours, with Save Booth Hall Hospital. And every time you saw one of those posters, there was a really good chance that right next to it, there'd be a poster that said "Free the Weatherfield One" next to it. 
And I don't know why. This has got nothing to do with anything, by the way. So, you know, we, we've crossed the hour mark now. People switch off. So I might as well talk about Deirdre Rashid. Because that's what it was. Deirdre was this character in, 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 in Coronation Street. And she was sent down for like six years for fraud. But it wasn't her that did it. It was a pilot boyfriend that took advantage of her. And in North Manchester, that was on the level of them closing down this this, this hospital, this institution. And I never got that, you know, years later on reflecting on it, I thought, I don't get it. But now I do, because Luke Jacobs is my Weatherfield one. He deserves justice. He deserves a spot at Wembley. Let's at Tony. Let's let's slip into Tony's DMs. We know he's online. Anyway, that's Jacobs against Kid. Really good match. Really enjoyed it. Let's get over to Germany and talk about some WXW. So WXW, way past 16 carat now. We're sort of into the thick of things and trying to build up to some new stuff. Uh, they had their True Colours show in, I believe, was it Hamburg? Let me double check. Uh, Dresden, I should say. And um, I don't know. It was a, a little bit of a disappointing show, to be honest with you. It didn't seem to have much juice to it. Um, I watched the whole thing, but it was one of those shows, you know, when you find yourself reaching for your phone and, you know, playing Marvel Snap or something. It wasn't one that particularly engaged me all the way through. Um, there was a couple of things, I think, of note on there. I think the a building Mike DeVecchio, which I think is great. I think he's a really good guy um, to have on a roster in, uh, like this. You know, he's, he's got an amazing work rate sort of style. You know, those big spots. He's a big jacked up chav. Love him for the, <coughs> excuse me, the same reasons that I love someone like Luke Jacobs or Gabriel Kidd. I don't think he's quite on that level in terms of his working ability, though. I mean, that, that's probably a, a little bit unfair to him. Um... This was against Tristan Archer. He had a match against Tristan Archer. And they're building up Mike D for a championship match in Berlin in a few weeks' time. So it was fairly obvious he was going to win here. Um, and it was a bit funny putting him against Tristan Archer. Because Archer, to me, is very, very hit and miss. There are times when he really hits and he has great matches, i.e. against William Ospreay or something. Do you know what I mean? But often he's just a little bit bland, a little bit flat, and things don't always land the way you would expect them to. Um, and that was kind of true with this match. And there was some really great bits, you know, like just big lads diving at each other. And, you know, Vecchio had these these trunks that had like 90s flames on them. You know, like you'd see, like all the 90s moshers would have the shirt with the black shirts with the flames on. And I thought that was great. You know, just says a lot about his character. Um but yeah, it just it slowed down too much, and it, it, the problem was it was only nine minutes. But it felt like there were huge points in this where Mike D was just selling, and I know they want to get that across, you know, for a big match that he's building towards that he's not invulnerable and and all that. But I I don't know if I wanted to see so much selling in this match. I just wanted to see some cool stuff and have them go against each other. Um, yeah, Tristan, I'm a little bit. Yeah, I I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can get excited about him anymore. 
There was another disappointing match on this one. It was Peter Tiani against Axel T-Shirt. And this is match two in their best of five match series. Um, which is now on hold, by the way. I don't know if it was in this match, but Axel Tischer has broken his collarbone, I think it is. So he's going to be out for about six weeks. I don't think it's a major... Ser- well, I don't want to break my collarbone. You know, it's, it's serious to that level, I guess. But it's not like he's a broken neck or anything. So he is going to be back. Um, but this match was a little bit disappointing as well. I raved about the first one. I thought the first match, the Tiani Tissa match, was absolutely fantastic. This one just felt a little bit flat. Um, there was a really weird thing. It was like a spinal tap smell the glove moment where Tisha at the start pulled a leather glove out the crack of his ass and slapped um, Tiani in the face with him. Like it's Indiana Jones or something. You know, it just I, I felt like it was a bit much. You know, I, I don't know if I really enjoyed that. I thought it was a bit on the nose. Um, but obviously Axel Tisha's got a, a, a flaw it was that thing of Tisha's trying to teach him a lesson. He's 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 buoyed by um, the winning the first match. The problem was it was a little bit flat. The, Dave Bradshaw on commentary really tried to put across the fact this was a bit more of a pro Tisha crowd, and I guess it kind of was. But it, the crowd weren't great for this show. There was lots of polite applause. It wasn't anything that, and I, I you know to be fair to them, there wasn't anything in in this match in particular that I would say was something to really sink your teeth into, to be honest with you. So I, I I don't know if I'm being a bit unfair to them, but there was just nothing here that really grabbed me at any point. Um, it's strange that Tisha won this one. I mean, it's not strange, actually, is it? Because it's kind of that standard story that they're putting Tiani in a position where he's now got to win every match. Because it's a best of five series. He's lost two. If he loses another one, it's all over. And I'm a little bit hesitant about stories like that. I just think for someone like Peter Tiani, I just think it would have been better for them to go 1-1 here. And, you know, maybe to trade to trade it and exchange it a little bit. Establish, or, you know, do it the other way around. Have Tiani win the first one and then have Tisha go on a bit of a run. Instead, it feels like they've gone for the really obvious option. And I think that kind of hurt things. That'll hurt the next match because then I kind of know that Tiani's going to win. Because the, the the series is, I know he's injured um, Tisha, but the series is continuing. They're not finishing the series. They're just going to sort of put it on hold. So I know that he's going to win the next match. Because you're not going to free an old Peter Tiani unless you're absolutely stupid. I mean, we'd have, if they were going to 3-0 Tiani, we'd have more to worry about than sort of cookie-cutter standard booking. They'd have lost their minds because he's great as a star. Uh, the only other match worth watching, I think, was the main event, the French Adores against the Arrows of Hungary. French Adores are always going to have this thing um, where... They get going, in a corner especially, and they're going to do incredible crazy moves. Um, you know, Eagle Blanc, I think is really underrated. So sends a Volto. I love the Arrows of Hungry. The, my problem is, I don't love Amboss Arrows of Hungry. And I'm finding that, on paper, I should be really excited about this. It's Arrows of Hungry against the French Adores. Great. But then you remember that it's not the Arrows of Hungary that are in Rev Pro. It's your Amboss Arrows of Hungary. There's going to be run-ins. And there was, you know, it was cheating. 
I just don't like it. I, I think Amboss is such a cool idea to have these big bruiser heels act like pricks and win matches and be dominant. I love that idea. I think that's great. But why do we have to have the WWE nonsense? I really think they should have another look at Amboss. Especially because that's how they're presenting them as well. The whole point is they come out, they're intimidating, and they say, right, we're here to kick everyone's butt. But no, they just sort of cheat and act like really boring heels. I I, I just think it's a real shame. I really do. I think these Amboss are such a wasted, missed opportunity for me. It's not too late, though. You could always turn things around. So that's WXW. Let's wrap things up. Do you know, things are feeling pretty good at the minute. We talked at length at the start about how exciting the scene feels because an American company have turned up and are probably going to give us some great matches. But it does. It feels like a good time to be a wrestling fan. You know, Red Pro just having a couple of great matches on every show. The WXW stuff, yeah, okay. I, I didn't love this latest show, but they've been really cool as well. Um, we are in a little bit of a flat period, I think. There hasn't been a great deal. I mean, I took last fortnight off just because I didn't really have all that much to say and I think it's important to have a break every now and then. So that's why there wasn't anything on your feed um, a couple of weeks ago. But things are looking up. We've got AEW tickets. I won £97 on the lottery on Saturday. £97. So I've pre-ordered Star Wars Shatterpoint, the tabletop miniatures game. And I've got in the fridge the leftovers of a bloody lovely beef wellington I spent all day making. I've got to spend the late evening talking to you. Life's good. So get in the Discord, Voices of Wrestling Discord. There's a Eurograps Express room. Make sure you get in there if you have any nice cheese. Um, I've had this week a lovely Stilton. And I, I'm, I tend to come on here and I, my thing is to always go for the interesting cheeses. You know, I, I, whenever I'm in my local cheesemongers, because I've got one, in, there's a place, well, it's not local, there's a place in Manchester called Charlton and it is so far up its arse, you wouldn't believe it. You know, it's, it, but I can't stop going there because they've got fishmongers and cheesemongers and it's that kind of so middle class, like painfully middle class area. But I guess maybe I am as well. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm going and, and enjoying the fruits of what they have to offer. But they have a cheesemongers there. And I always try and go for something that I've never heard of or something that sounds crazy. But I don't know what happened to me this week. I just went for some Stilton and it was absolutely amazing. So I'm going to finish some of that as well. I might even, I've noticed my wife has left. I don't really drink very much, but she's left a third a bottle of wine. So I might do the old wine and cheese thing in the middle of the night like a true classy gent. If you do the wine and cheese thing in the middle of the night like a true classy gent, get in the Voices of Wrestling Discord, have a lovely fortnight, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks' time.
Hi, I'm Case Lowe, co-host of the Open the Voice Gate podcast. The one question I'm constantly asked when it comes to Dragon Gate is how do I get into the promotion? Well, stop asking and start listening to the Open the Voice Gate podcast released every Wednesday on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. For exclusive news and show reviews, look no further than the leader in Dragon Gate coverage, Open the Voice Gate.